just recently uh, we had a little discussion with uh, one of our supporters who is also a psychiatrist and so she is a very strong practitioner but also a psychiatrist and what she mentioned you know, working with her patients there are so many of them who have issues first of all with anxiety that seems to be a very prevalent mental disorder and even if it's not on the level of disorder it's just you know, what many people struggle with and right now you know, with the coronavirus not in Australia but um, basically almost all the rest of the world you know, is getting opposite worse so anxiety is a big issue second issue is low self-esteem and not only low self-esteem but a, a negative attitude towards oneself and many Buddhist teachers have noticed that and this seems to be different from traditional societies and sometimes even the self-loathing, self-hatred being extremely critical of oneself and the feeling that one isn't good enough it seems to be another huge issue with many people And uh, once that attitude is there, then it can lead, for example, to depression. If one is super critical, fault-finding mind. And uh, one possible result is depression. Uh, another possible result is various eating disorders. If someone is very happy with themselves, they usually will not develop an eating disorder either. And so how can we uh, counter that? And actually a very easy way of helping with both of them, anxiety and low self-esteem or negativity towards oneself, is simply taking refuge. <laughs> a sim simple ceremony we had you know, this morning. Because when you do that, you, know, you join a community, you join like the team you become part of that and when you're part of something that is good and noble and worthy and in this case you know, the most worthy community in the whole universe you know, the Arya Sangha starting with the Buddha and then to be connected to that you, know, you immediately feel a tremendous boost this is what people do when they you know, join a fan club of a footy team even that is already giving them the boost you don't feel it's only me now, but now you're part of this larger group of people. It's the same why people buy all these expensive designer brands. And it gives you an identity. The idea that you become part of this group of people who are driving Mercedes cars or wearing a Rolex watch or whatever. But these are not very uh, convincing or substantial examples of rising, raising one's self-esteem because it's material, it is impermanent and also works only in, uh, with a Rolex as long as you have the money for that. So I would suggest uh, instead uh, using the same kind of approach uh, but not joining a fan club for a footy team but joining a fan club for the Buddha 
and the Sangha, so to speak. And, and the ceremony of taking refuge uh, is doing that. And even if we have all kinds of uh, shortcomings or faults, and some people may be excessively focused on that, but now we are part of the triple gem, we are part of the community of fellow Dhamma practitioners, we have taken refuge, we have made a connection with the Supreme Being in the whole universe, the Buddha, and we have made a connection with the foremost community, which is those who have realized the Dhamma, at least on the first stage. Now, this is the foremost community. And even if we are not fully belong to that yet, it's a little bit like two forms of membership. In some associations, you have a full membership, and before that, you may have only an associated membership or affiliated membership. So even if you're not yet fully part of the community of noble ones, because we haven't had realized the Dhamma yet, we are already a affiliated membership, so to speak, by the act of taking refuge and by aiming in that direction. We can look at how much affection and positive attitude Buddhists usually have towards the Sangha. It struck me again in our warp offering ceremony and it was very full and people were so happy and they enjoyed it so much not to have Sangha here. We couldn't invite any visiting monks with all the border closures on our the monasteries associated uh, were not yet accessible really, couldn't come to Queensland. But we had Sangha here, we had four monks. It was actually, the, I think, the biggest events we ever had. Bigger than Lumpur Sumedho or Lumpur Liam even. But the main thing is just this tremendous devotion and affection which people express to the Sangha. So if you make yourself part of the Sangha, so to speak, by taking refuge, even if it's only affiliated so far, maybe not yet realization, not yet fully part of it, but affiliated because you take refuge, you aim in that direction, then immediately your attitude towards yourself becomes a little bit more similar to your attitude towards the Sangha. How can we look down on us if we are someone who has taken refuge and is aiming and practicing to realize the Dhamma, to free ourselves from our suffering. We have to acknowledge and appreciate that quality in us. So I think uh, the very simple act of taking refuge in Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha can help us to raise self-esteem in a really wholesome way and to overcome the negativity and the excessive fault-finding mind towards ourselves.
Have you noticed that the most exclusive clubs or pubs or whatever are often very difficult to get in? Only by invitation or if you if you pay lots of money or things like that. So the amazing thing, the most exclusive or exalted club or group or community and is completely open. The simple act of taking refuge allows you of becoming part of it. So I'm sometimes surprised why do not more people join and aim to become full members in the, in the most uh, sublime and exclusive club or community you can have in the whole universe. Well, the Buddha said, you know, of all groups, communities, associations, affiliations, organizations, the superlative one, uh, the most outstanding is Yadidang Shatadi, Purusa Yogani, Atta, Purusa Pukala, the four pairs of persons, the eight kinds of individuals. Those who have attained stream entry, once returning, non-returning, or full Nibbana, and those who have entered on the path on realizing it in this life. Now that is the pairs, that is the eight group, eight kinds of individuals. And the amazing thing is that you are invited to not yet full member. Full membership is a little bit difficult because you have to realize the Dhamma in your heart. But everyone is invited to become an uh, affiliated member by the simple act of taking refuge. And then you are affiliated with the supreme being in the whole universe, the Buddha. You are affiliated with the foremost community, group, order, organization the Sangha of Noble Individuals and you are affiliated with the, the Supreme Dhamma, the Dhamma of Deathlessness, the end of all suffering, the freedom from old age, sickness, death and new rebirth. And the entry fee is zero, you don't have to pay a single cent. So I think uh, we can really give a boost to our self-esteem in a, in a good and wholesome way by taking refuge and by reflecting what that means. And the other one is the anxiety. I'm not surprised at all that anxiety is one of the most common uh, disorders and even below the level of a formal the mental disorder is something which is uh, troubling many people. Because if anyone follows you know, the normal belief which we have nowadays, kind of scientific materialism, maybe you want to call it, and that is basically you know, the belief that 
um, consciousness is just a byproduct of the brain and the moment the body dies and your brain doesn't function anymore then all consciousness is over and there's just nothing if that is a perspective you know, the moment you die there's just nothing I can understand that people are anxious <laughs> if that is the situation So there's a question, uh, anxiousness and anxiety, and how do they differ, and, and what is the le uh, level for each? And I think there are many uh, forms of anxiety. Sometimes it can be very specific. Let's say if someone has to give a public talk, they may have some anxiety before that, which is for this specific event of being in front of a group of people and having to speak. Then there can also be more general anxiety when one is getting older or weaker. How is it going to work out? And can I keep my job? You know, more diffuse in the coronavirus, what is going to happen? And then there's also anxiety on a very uh, profound level, kind of existential anxiety, which is close to what the Buddha calls the Sangyojana, the fetter of doubt, Vichikicha. The doubt and anxiety is close, closely related. My personal opinion is that because people have this very strong existential anxiety, it will come out as all kinds of other anxieties. This is the deepest one. There's basically the question, what does it all mean? What's the point of my life? What happens once I die? Is there just nothing? Can it happen with the imbalance of chemical imbalance in the individual's head? The question, can anxiety happen from a chemical imbalance? I think that can be part of it, but I think it also goes the other way around because the mind is anxious they will find some chemical imbalance in your brain or in your hormones. And both things are related. Nama, Rupa, body and mind are influencing each other. And I don't think we can uh, address and understand and solve the issue of anxiety on a chemical level. There may be some medications which are beneficial, but it's, uh, it's not a really deep treatment because ultimately anxiety is not in the brain or in some chemicals but is in the mind and the moment we take refuge in the Dhamma which also implies that we have some faith some conviction some confidence in the teaching of the Dhamma a lot of the existential anxiety will immediately drop away because suddenly there is a point to life. Namely, we can reach enlightenment. Suddenly there is meaning. You can practice the Dhamma to experience less and less suffering and to finally attain the supreme happiness of Nibbana. So everything becomes meaningful. And death is no longer that it just ends and there is nothing. But we know that consciousness will reconnect to the next life. We get reborn. And if we create a good karma rather than bad karma, 
it will be a good rebirth and then we can continue the practice. So we also lose no, this um, existential anxiety, you know, or oh, I'm going to die and it's all over. The moment if you have faith in rebirth and the efficacy of, of karma, the death is no longer just this abyss you're looking in and nothing you can do. There will still be anxiety about dying, but it's, it's on a different level. Suddenly, you know, there is actually some explanation of what is good and what is bad, what is wholesome, what is unwholesome, what is beneficial, what is unbeneficial. Often we have nowadays what you might call you know, like an ethical anomism. The ideas that you know, everything is equal and it's all okay, and whatever views and ideas you have. And, but in reality, isn't there is actually good and evil in this universe, and there's the results of good and evil actions. And the results of evil actions are very bad in the future. The results of good actions will give you happiness. There's actually something that is wholesome, and there's something that is unwholesome. There's something that is better and something that is inferior. And at the moment you understand that and you have faith and conviction in that, a lot of the anxiety will drop away. Because if you live in a world where you don't have any idea, is there anything which is good or bad, or is it just all um, shades of gray and degrees of different preferences and it's all equal, and just depends on what you prefer. I can understand that the people have anxiety. So the moment that we take refuge and we develop faith and conviction in the teaching of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the teaching of the noble ones, what the Sangha is living and teaching as an example, so much of our existential anxiety will be reduced automatically with the fear of death and just the confidence that one can even go beyond death even if we haven't realized it yet just having confidence that it's possible that basically is a solution to everything not just the cure for coronavirus the cure for any disease and the Buddha has got it People are just too lazy to take the prescription and to actually not take it, taking the medicine. So the moment that we have that confidence, the anxiety will, will just fade away. The Buddha has no anxiety, neither have any of the noble Arahants who have a realized Nibbana. It's impossible for an enlightened person to have any fear or anxiety because the delusion of I, me, mine and self is gone because greed, hatred, delusion are abandoned. So anxiety can't even arise. And even though we haven't attained that ourselves yet, we are affiliating, we are connecting by taking refuge and by having faith in that and then we will already get you know, some of the benefits. Death is no longer totally overwhelming. But we know it can be defeated. 
sickness is no longer totally overwhelming if we know one can get out of it. The suffering and pain we experience is no longer completely overwhelming because we know that it can be abandoned. It may take us quite a while, maybe even a few lifetimes, but at least there's a perspective. There's the question here, how do we deal with it when we see other people suffering from anxiety, love, self-esteem and so on, no orientation in life, what's the meaning, what is up and down, what is white, what is black, what is good, what is bad. And you see other people who are just floating around having no idea and suffering consequently from anxiety, low self-esteem and so on. Obviously with others is limited what we can do. The first thing is that we have to find some firm ground for ourselves. But what we can always do is offering them the opportunity by pointing out the triple gem and the benefits, and even in simple ways. People may not immediately go refuge for the whole thing, but if we can get any of these people just to have some faith in karma, or some faith in being generous and doing some good things, or some you know, faith in, in the developing one's mind and abandoning anger and developing good qualities like loving-kindness, forgiving, compassion, understanding, mindfulness. And all of that will be beneficial to them. You will also benefit others by not being anxious yourself. Even if you do absolutely nothing actively, if you have that quality in your heart that you don't have anxiety or very little, everyone who is anxious will benefit from any association with you. Even if you don't say a single word about the Dhamma or anxiety, but just being free from that quality. And additionally, if you then have metta, loving kindness and compassion, and radiated to these people, you know, they will feel you know, some support just from that much. That will not be enough to cure um, anxiety as a mental disorder. It will not be enough you know, to help them to completely abandon anxiety completely. It will have some impact. To do more, there has to be something from their side, some willingness to uh, take it on the, the practice. But if you really have that quality of being free from anxiety and having lots of compassion and kindness, people may become quite interested. And generally this is a more convincing way of people, of convincing people to take on Dhamma practice by simply exhibiting some of the qualities, often more effective than nagging. You should take refuge, you should go to the monastery and it will be much better. This kind of nagging is often not so successful, maybe counterproductive. But if you sit down and you meditate for an hour or two, 
And then you come out and your eyes are bright and radiant and your face is smiling and you're obviously in a super happy, relaxed, at ease. People notice that and they want it. And if you exhibit these qualities really strongly, they may even inquire what you're doing. They may try to find out on their own. And that is an opportunity then to introduce them further. So there's a question, what do we do with those who don't really understand anything about karma and about good and bad and wholesome and unwholesome? And you say, and then when you try to help them, uh, you may get a negative reaction and just get harmed. Now the first thing is always self-preservation. If other people are harming you when you're trying to help them, then you may have to just back off. And they have to practice equanimity, they have to live with their karma. That is a basic rule even for lifesavers on the beach. You have to make sure that you're not being pulled down by the person. So when they get trained to save people who are drowning, they learn certain techniques now to deal with that if someone just latches onto them and then both may be drowning and that wouldn't be beneficial. But I think this is a fairly extreme case and I'm not really aware in my own life that this has happened very much, that people are so difficult that when you try to help them that they're just going to harm you. I think a more common thing is that you may be trying to help but they're not interested or they just tell you to knock off and <laughs> leave them alone. And again, fair enough, then you just focus your energy on those and they can help a little bit. But it's not necessary for people to become uh, convinced Buddhists and diligent Dhamma followers for you to help them. Just a little bit is okay. Now, for example, generosity is taught in all religions I'm aware of, that it's good to be generous and to share and to give. So and if you can uh, convince someone that it will increase their happiness and their self-esteem, if they become more sharing, it doesn't have to be to the Buddhist monks. It can be any form of sharing and giving and charity. And uh, I think you have got a very wide range of people from all kinds of different religions who would uh, respond positively to that. That's the beautiful thing about the Dhamma, you don't have to take the whole thing on board. Just little things. But the very basis is always that we ourselves take refuge and the ourselves develop these qualities and then the next step is looking after others. So if ever anxiety overwhelms the mind, I just recommend going through this little ceremony of taking refuge. One reason we do that on the podcast so that people become used to it and can study it. And if you ever feel overwhelmed by anxiety, just go to your little Buddha statue at home. You don't need a monk, anyone. And just go through the whole ceremony. 
and the anxiety may not be completely blown away, but I'm very confident that for most people there will be a reduction just by that much. It's so easy to do. And uh, if additionally we reflect, it will be even stronger. You do the ceremony and you reflect on the fact that the Buddha is completely free from fear and anxiety. And so are all the other ones. It's impossible in their mind for anxiety to arise. They don't even have to make an effort. There's no effort involved. It's just totally impossible to feel anxiety for them. And there are beautiful examples, not just the Buddha. There's one event in the Buddha's time where the monks are uh, sitting and meditating together and suddenly one of them says, Oh, please, could you carry my body out into the open before I die inside here? And even Venerable Saviputta is surprised and he asks, no, why, why do you say so? You, you look quite okay. And the monk just repeats, can you please carry me outside before this body dies? He preferred dying outside rather than in the womb. So they carry him outside and then he dies. And it turns out that and, uh, he, he was bitten by a snake. In those days they have thatched roofs and a snake was falling through a gap in the thatched roof and was falling onto him. And although he was an Avahan, he didn't harm the snake, but the snake was just shocked from having this fall and landing on this person. And then, then, then the snake bit. So, but the amazing thing is, uh, he didn't scream, he didn't twitch, and no one even noticed. And I'm pretty sure if he had a group of people meditating here, and a snake is falling on one of them, we would all know about it. There would be a lot of commotion. And even more so if the snake did bite that person. And even more so if the snake is poisonous and then the body has the snake poison spreading and just imagine the pain. But this other one, he was so free from anxiety, from fear. He was so free even from any identification with the pain he is feeling that he just continued meditating quietly. And only when he noticed that he is just on the edge of dying, he just calmly asked the monks to be carried outside because he prefers to die in the open. It was actually the Buddha, the, the brother of Annabelle Sariputta, one of his brothers. And he was so calm and so free from anxiety, even at the moment when he died from a poisonous snake bite, that his own brother, looking at him, was, was puzzled and asked, why do you say so? You, you look fine. This is a freedom we can all achieve in our mind. Now this is a mind which is free from death. His body still died. But you can see that the mind was already freed from the body while he was still alive and still wearing this body, but the mind was free from it, free from attachment, free from identification. And because of that, he was free from any, any fear of death. 
because of that you know, there was no anxiety at all even when he gets bitten by a snake the poison starts spreading and in the end he dies completely calm and this is what we are taking refuge in those who have realized that state and those who are practicing for it now that state itself, that Dhamma which this person had experienced in their heart, now that is Dhamma that's what you're taking refuge in. And the first one who realized it and then taught the way there to the others, the Buddha, that's what you're taking refuge in. If you reflect like that and then you do the ceremony, you know, the anxiety will be just reduced straight away. You know, the ability to help others is actually one of the best things to get out of a negative mood. Once it's on the level of you know, a clinical depression, it may be difficult at that time to help others because they may be too deep down in it. But if you feel down or a little bit depressed, but not yet that seriously, one of the best things to get out of it is actually doing something good for others. It's one of the best boosters for wholesome self-esteem, the ability to help others. And it's so important not to always focus on oneself. I noticed in almost all mental disorders there's excessive preoccupation with oneself. Even in depression they tend to think always about themselves, just negatively. I am not good enough and I am hopeless and I can't, there's always I and I. So it's much healthier to start thinking more about others rather than about oneself. And then uh, even better if we can do something for others. Someone just brought up an extremely important quality in the gratitude. Because gratitude is the opposite of the fault-finding mind. In Pali, Katanyo, Katavedi, the strong, strongly encouraged quality Kata means done and anyo means knowledge, to know what has been done to us, all the good things that have been done to us, and then to acknowledge them. That is gratitude. In English, we also say, count your blessings. <laughs> That's again the attitude of gratitude. Counting one's blessings, counting what we got from others. And I totally agree with you. That is... Uh, an excellent way, prophylactic, it will prevent depression. Because when we see all the goodness we have received, we may have also had to cope with quite a bit of bad things, fair enough, no, but we can focus on the good things we have received and we can be grateful for that. And if this is how we live our life, no, then there will be so much happiness. So uh, gratitude is a really important quality to make ourselves happier, to boost our self-esteem. Uh, another one is actually being humble and respectful towards those who deserve respect. Because psychologically, when we try to put ourselves above others and look down on others, it actually doesn't really elevate us. It's a delusion to think that this is how you come out on top. 
the karmic result is actually you know, if we are considered arrogant, looking down on others, that we will be reborn in a low position. But even now we can notice that the mind which is bowing to what is worthy of respect, like the Buddha, when we bow, we lower our face to the ground, the extreme sign of humility and respect to something supremely worthy like the Buddha. But at the same time, our mind is soaring. The body is bowing, the attitude is one of humility and respect. But curiously, that actually gives us genuine true self-esteem inside. We are the ones always looking down on others and are arrogant. Deep down, they're actually very unsure and feel very uncertain about themselves and have doubts. Let us all develop gratitude for all the good things we have received. Count your blessings. Never mind if there was also a lot of bad stuff. We can focus on the good stuff we have got and received. That's gratitude. And we will have much more wholesome self-esteem, less anxiety. Let us all develop generosity, helping others. This is the best self-esteem. I'm someone who has the ability that I can help others. Gives us a real boost. And the very best, let us take refuge in the Supreme Being in the universe, the Buddha. Let us take refuge in the Supreme Dhamma, the state of deathlessness, which can be realized in the heart. Let us take refuge in the supreme community of those who are practicing to realize that. And the moment we do that, we are affiliating with these supreme things. We are not fully there yet, but we are affiliating and directing our mind there and have taken refuge and our anxiety and our fault-finding mind and criticism with ourselves never will just fade away because now we are affiliated and directed towards something supremely noble and exalted. We will respect ourselves for that. Thanks for your patience and good questions. <laughs>